0: A man pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a rabbi, wants to amplify the voice of people like them. And thanks to CNN, we all have to hear about it. And the Shloka from Sterot is here, one mile from the Gaza border. She is here to share how a missile landed in her living room. But yet, that is the least of her worries, since Hamas overran her city on Simchas Torah 44 days ago. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and lovely host, channel music coming at you from the line of Israel. This is episode 153. All right. I have a great show for you today, but before we even get into any of that, I got to read to you this letter from David Horowitz. He's a conservative who once had Candace Owens at his annual restoration weekend gathering of conservative movers and shakers. So he apparently invited the little-known Candace Owens this conservative weekend where she later says everything started for her. That's really what it was the the turning point of her career and she went on to become rich and famous after that. So David Horowitz put out a letter uh, posted on the David Horowitz Freedom Center's website where he basically (laughs) expresses how disappointed he is in what she has become and he did not hold back any punches. He said that the atrocities of October 7th the appearance of ignorant mobs in the U.S. chanting Hitler was right and supporting the, the Hamas terrorists. And Candace's moral equivalents about these neo-Nazis have changed the stakes for them. And that's why they decided to issue this statement, because of her recent promotion of Hamas's genocidal lies. And then he shares how she falsely compared Israel to the segregated South, how she implied that Israel was engaged in genocide. She suggested... That to remove the Hamas auxiliary, students for justice in Palestine from campuses would increase anti-Semitism. That's what we expect to hear from the New York Times. And that is why they are sharing that Candace Owens, unfortunately, is engaging in a pattern. A pattern where she tackles a subject she knows nothing about, doesn't bother to learn anything about it, and then rides the backlash by playing the victim to generate more fame and money. Snap! What a tragic misuse of talents. You can check it out yourself. I'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, we are not happy with Candace Owens. Goodbye, Candace, as he ends this article, cutting all ties with her. We will continue to support those who truly strive to raise up the movement for liberty and life, not selfishly tear it apart. Ooh, that felt good. Okay, a man pretending to be a woman pretending to be a rabbi. Well, she has an opinion on the conflict that CNN felt important to air. Because CNN features mental patients who belong in a hospital. Speaking of hospitals, here are 10 clues that the hospital you're at is actually a Hamas base. This is from Babylon Bee. It's hilarious. I ain't actually read it, yet, but I know it's hilarious because the Babylon Bee is hilarious. Here are 10 subtle clues to help you discern if your hospital is actually a Hamas base. Number one, the doctors break out in <laughs> cheers when somebody dies. Not a good start. Number two, the ambulance has a 50 cal machine gun mounted on top. It does clear traffic, but in a very Hamasi manner. Number three, the ho- the hospital offers to waive your bill if you strap on this cool vest. To be fair, we're told they do keep their word. <laughs> Number four, the gift shop sells, I'm sorry, you've been taking hostage balloons. Oh my God. Hashem mishmar. If the gift shop in your hospital has balloons that say, I'm sorry, you've been taking hostage, you're probably in a Hamas hospital. Number five, the sound of small arms fire keeps coming from the cancer ward. Because if you have cancer, you know, like, let's just... It's cheaper just to treat it the Hamas way. Number six, you've got lo- you you've got lost on the way to the cafeteria and ended up in an underground tunnel filled with rocket launchers. <laughs> Number seven, the pediatric unit is labeled the human shield ward. Strong terrorist vibes. This is amazing. Number eight, the intake nurse checks your temperature, pulse, and circumcision status. We're going to have to kill you, sir. <laughs> we can treat you, but we can kill you. Number nine, the surgical assistant's... <laughs> The surgical assistant is a goat. Wearing a little green, Hamas headband. And number 10, none of the doctors are Jewish. That is a pretty good sign that you are in the wrong hospital. So I think that this man pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a rabbi, should check herself into this hospital and perhaps have a conversation with the people that she's supporting because she clearly doesn't understand that a person like her, a man who's really a woman, who's really not a rabbi, well, he thinks his opinion matters. Jessica Rosenberg, that is who we are talking about. He apparently works for George Soros. He says, we cannot bomb our way to peace. Here's the thing, Jessica, we actually can. Turns out we can actually bomb our way to peace because there have not been that many missiles since Israel (laughs) has resorted to bombing our way to peace. So, so far, so good. Also, a piece of advice never trust a man with a goatee who pretends to be a woman and goes on CNN to say the fundamental threat is Israel and not Hamas. It's just a good life rule. Okay? Hamas is the fundamental threat to Israel. As is CNN. As is Jessica Rosenberg to women and to rabbis. So, yeah. And speaking of women rabbis, you cannot make this up. Token anti-Israel Jews were holding a Torah reading at a rally. (laughs) (laughs) With Rashida Talib. <laughs> of course, they're all wearing Telessim, tfillin, and masks because, you know, COVID. And the woman reading the Torah drops her voice to a whisper twice when she gets to the text, quote, to you and your descendants will I give all these lands of Israel. Okay, I don't think there's a better 30-second demonstration of the inherent contradiction between being Jewish and... An anti-Zionist. You have these rabbis for a ceasefire doing a public shachris, a Jewish morning prayer service, live from the U.S. Capitol, and lowering their voices when they read in the scripture, in the text, that God gave Israel <laughs> to the Jewish people. This is why I hate extremism. I hate fanaticism. I feel the same disgust with this group of people and the Nateri Karta who stand there in their Hasidic garb pretending to be Jews while they call for a ceasefire and the destruction of the state of Israel. Now, I have a solution. I have a great way to silence both of these groups, the Jewish voice for peace and the Nateri Karta voice for the destruction of Israel. We have to lock them up together. We have to get a house, like one of those bachelor houses, and lock up the Nateri Karta whatever 20 members they have and the 20 members of this Jewish Voice for Peace and lock them in that house together and let them get on each other's nerves until they eventually eliminate each other. That's it. Put these two fanatic, extreme fundamentalist groups into one space and let them duke it out. I I, I wouldn't give them 24 hours. 24 hours tops and our problem is solved. That's right. All right, on a more somber note, Mati Shabbos, I was invited to sing or Frabrang or comes with a group of IDF moms here in Beit Shemesh, English speaking Anglos. And we gathered at a friend's house to make babka and make a bracha on the dough, and to pray for each other's children, not mine. Cause I don't have any children in the army, but I was there just to witness all this. And what I saw were the most incredibly strong, gracious and grateful women that you've ever met all sharing as we went around the table, how they are thankful to Hashem that their son or their daughter um, is safe until now and that they are so proud of their kids and how brave their kids are being and how much they're putting up with and how they're just praying and praying and waiting for them to come home and for this war to be over. And it was just so incredible to witness the strength of these mothers who are putting their children out on the front lines in harm's way. In harm's way, every single mother at this table has a child wearing a uniform that makes them a target to murder, a target to shoot at. That's what the IDF is to their enemies. And these mothers know it. And still, they are proud of their sons and daughters. And they're doing whatever they can to make things better for them and to be supportive of them, even though they don't know where they are half the time. Okay? So I'm sitting around the table, and I'm listening to people share stories. I'm listening to one woman say that her son was in a helicopter on Simcha's tire with a hundred other soldiers who were flying to the south to help defend the civilians from this terrorist attack that was taking place. And a Hamas terrorist launched an RPG at them and almost took the helicopter down, yet a hundred boys survived. She didn't get into details or specifics, but she said while they were singing hakafis louder and louder and louder, her son, his life and the life of a hundred other soldiers was saved. Somehow the, the helicopter managed to land despite being shot by an RPG and Everybody survived. And these are just some of the miracles that we we, 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 we didn't even hear of. We, these are not things that even made the news. So we're sharing these stories. Um, then I play a little bit, and we sing, we sing Vihisha Amdan. and we sing Achinu, and we sing She'abana Beis And then as I strum the last note to We Want Mashiach Now, somebody gets a text. I hear sobbing. A woman leaves the room, and everybody panics. Everybody's blood runs cold because we know something terrible just happened. And sure enough, a boy from our community, Binyamin Mayer Arli, all of 20 years old, my neighbor's son, my neighbor, she lives about four buildings from my house, a woman I know very well. I've exercised with her. I've spoken to her many times. She's a dear friend. Well, she lost her son. She lost her son who was in Gaza. And he went into a bombed-out Gaza stronghold, and he was shot. He was one of the first boys in. So we all left sobbing and the next day it poured here in Beit Shemesh, and the entire community came out in the thunder and lightning, in the torrential rain to say goodbye to Benjamin, a sweet, beautiful boy, an Ezra counselor, a friend to all, a real Gibor and one of ours. And it was, it was just awful. And then sure enough, Jen, oh, she is something else. She gets out of her car. And she comes out on the street in the pouring rain while everybody sings a chenu. And she holds her hands up in the air and she sings along and she encourages the crowd to sing with her. <laughs> trying to give chizuk. And that's Jen. That is Jen. This is a woman who runs marathons. She's on a hot And she is a proud Israeli olah who came here from Florida. Her husband's from England and raised a beautiful family here. She loves the land. She taught her children to love the land. They love to hike. They love to bike. They love to go out, explore nature. And, and here we are. She sacrificed her son for us, for Amistral, for our safety. So that was really painful and really hard. I shared a clip of the crowd who came out on the streets with flags in the rain on my beautiful On The visual Instagram page. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You can check that out. And... What can I say? This war is ongoing. It's painful. We are suffering. And it's a dark gullus. We are in a very dark gullus. But there is hope. There is always hope. There is always light. And that is why I brought a wonderful woman today. A woman full of hope, full of light, full of kindness. And a greater understanding of our purpose here. Our mission here. The Chabad Lucha of Sterot. A city that is one mile from the Gaza border. A city that has been on the receiving end of so many missiles from Gaza that they have a Hanukkah menorah made out of rocket shrapnel. A city where terrorists roamed looking for Jews to kill on October 7th. A city that has a Chabad house that looks just like 770 in Crown Heights. A Chabad house that is there to provide spirituality and support for its citizens. And a city that has buried dozens of people. Since the massacre on October seventh, you are not going to believe what you hear from her. You're not going to believe it. But first, let me tell you about Mayor Panim. Mayor Panim is a Tzedakah organization that is on the front lines, helping Israel deal with this war. And there are a lot of things that have to be done so we can survive this. And Mayor Panim is right there, doing whatever needs to be done. This is despite juggling their soup kitchens, their meal deliveries to Holocaust survivors and the elderly. Now on top of everything, despite the fact that dozens of their own members have been killed, abducted, they are still out there doing what needs to be done to help the traumatized and desperate people of Israel. 6,000 soldiers are fed daily. They have 300 volunteers. They provided 2,200 mattresses for our soldiers and our reservists, 100,000 care packages for soldiers, 631,000 meals since the war began. 2,000 evacuated families are being fed every single day thanks to Mayor Panim. They're changing thousands of lives. So if you would like to help support this podcast, support Mayor Panim, please head over to my show notes, click on the link, mayorpanim.org slash war, help families living in bomb shelters, help inspire and support our soldiers, help provide for evacuated families from the South. We need your help more than ever. I always ask for help on this podcast, but now I'm asking Truly from the bottom of my heart Make a donation So Israel's Frontline Soldiers Feel the love Feel the support Every second Every tool counts And that's what Mayor Pranim is They are ensuring our soldiers Are equipped with essential tools That can mean the difference Between life and death But we need you We need your help We need the help you can provide So please head over to my show notes Click on the link And contribute $18, $36, $100, $1,000 Whatever you can To help the volunteers of Mayor Panim continue the incredible work they're doing to help Israel win the war against Israel. It's going to take all of us. So if this is something you can do, I thank you on behalf of the Weekly Squeeze and org slash war. Tivia, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Um, I was just looking on Wikipedia just to get a couple of Facts about Stérot because, you know, I don't usually think about Stérot, but now everyone's talking about the south of Israel where you live. And I can't believe the things that I'm reading. Do you know how many rockets have fallen in your neighborhood over the last like 20 years? Um, guessing over 50,000. <laughs> You're like a bajillion. You guys have been on the front lines of the tension with Gaza, the conflict in Gaza for as long as you've been living in Israel. So I wanted to have you here today to share a little bit about what this has been like for you, how you're feeling today, and just take people into the life of the shlucha of Sterot and and you're not even home. You're not even there. You're working from your Shalim. So share with us a little bit about your story. You can go back to October 8th or before, whenever you feel comfortable.
1: Um. October 7th. I think it was October 7th, Shabbos in Chastorah. I can go back to, like you said, uh, Zderot has been bombarded for years. Don Shluchas to Zderot 20, 23 years ago. And half a year after we moved, the first Kassam missile actually fell right behind our house, where we were living. It was like this big boom and noise, and it was the beginning of a very, very long, never-ending war, according to us. And um, over the years, it's been, you know, better days, worse days. We've had, um, you know, we've had times where we've had like a few months of total silence. And then we've had uh, a day of, you know, 200 missiles in about 10 minutes. There was really nothing to expect ever.
0: For my audience who's listening, who's already thinking, well, why the heck does she live there? Share with us why you live there. I mean, you're clearly an American. I know you from back in the day. I know your family. You grew up in Crown Heights. How did you end up in Sterot? Why did you choose that place to live and raise your children?
1: So we're on Shlachas there um, from the Rebbe. Uh, We went there. My husband's older brother has been on Shlachas for probably like 18 years before us. And uh, he asked us to come on out and to help him. Uh, When we came out, obviously it was a small little city. Even Israelis didn't know where it was on the map. And uh, today, I mean, just you're a mile from the from Gaza.
0: You're a mile within walking distance.
1: Uh, No, we're one air kilometer away. It's not exactly walking distance. About five minute drive,
0: shooting distance.
1: Yes. In other words, the missile travels an air kilometer.
0: And how long do you have from when a missile is shot out to get into your bomb shelter?
1: About twelve seconds. So immediately. Yeah, you don't have time for anything. And you do it every time. And we just about try to do it every time, yes.
0: In your school, in your shul, in your chabad? Everything. The whole city is a
1: bomb shelter. Uh, all, the, all the schools are bomb shelters. They're all new, they've all been like rebuilt over the years. The entire building is a bomb shelter. So the kids don't have to go anywhere. I mean, if there's, uh, we don't have a siren. We have um, an alarm system that says Tseva Dom. Um, so when there's Tseva Dom, everybody stays where they are, all the kids are inside the buildings. Nobody goes out. We're talking about nurseries, preschools, schools. All those buildings are completely, completely sheltered. In addition to that, every house in Sderot has a bomb shelter. Our bus stops are bomb shelters. In other words, if you walk down the street in Sderot, you see like these cement boxes in the middle. Those are bomb shelters. Every park has a bomb shelter. So basically you do, you go in wherever you are, you have where to go when there's, when our alarm sounds.
0: Now, how far are you from Kibbutz Be'eri and Kfar Aza and all the other Kibbutzim that were infiltrated and attacked? Okay,
1: so um, Be'eri is further down. Be'eri is actually like almost a half hour drive from us, but Kfar Aza is five minutes.
0: Right. So the first thing that happened in your neighborhood was the attack of the police station. So can you tell us how, how all of this unfolded for you and what you heard first and how you realized that this was different than just a regular code red?
1: Yeah, so we woke up on, on Simcha's Torah Shabbos morning at about 6.30, the alarm started. And um, we just thought it was a regular, okay, so we're getting missiles, nothing out of the ordinary, we went outside, and, like, we heard gunshots, but we didn't think for a second that it was actually in Sterot. We were, sh- I'm, like, standing with my mother, and we're both like, what is that? And I'm like, you know what? It's probably by the border. I mean, there's no way there's gunshots here in Sterot." It, it was so quiet outside. I mean, you were able to hear everything. So we just figured, you know, it's an echo. And um, that's how we started a day. We didn't know anything that was going on. And then uh, between 10... I would say that between 10 and 11.30, the entire family walked from the house to Shul because we didn't know what was going on outside. And we kept saying, oh, there's probably not going to be enough people in Shul, not going to be a minion. So we have to go. Let's go. And so the family, in parts, walked to the Bet Chabad between 10 and 11.30 in the morning. Uh, that's I mean, there were terrorists walking all over the place. I'm um, a three-minute yeah, walk this from is the already, station.
0: This is already a few hours after the attack started. Rockets had been shooting all morning. Yeah, and yeah, we and had you, no You idea. were still not aware of what was what I, what was going down. Okay,
1: that's right. Even though our phone was ringing nonstop because people were trying to call us to tell us not to leave the house, but we didn't answer. Um, now I'm a about a three-minute walk from the police station in one direction, and the Chabad house is about a five-minute walk in the other direction. So you you could just imagine that, obviously, in my area, there were a lot of terrorists. I mean, thank God we didn't see any, any of us, as we walked to the Chabad house. Every time we got to the Chabad house, the person who got there found out what was going on. I was the last to come. Um, In in hindsight, I think is a good thing, because I don't think I would have... Done very well, knowing that my kids are now walking outside with terrorists walking around. We came to the Chabad house, and as soon as we came in, first of all, it was locked. And the Chabad the, house looks like seven seventy, right? The Chabad house looks like seven seventy. Yes, it's a really big give people building. People a visual. Um, yeah, it looks like seven seventy outside. There's a menorah made out of Kasami, out of missiles, and there's the whole. It's also a protected building, and. Um, we came and the door was locked. Couldn't understand why the Chabad House door is locked. And then we said, you know, it's us. And they opened the door for us. And as soon as we came in, they started telling us what's going on. The first thing they told us is that our police station was attacked and taken over. And I thought they're living in La, La Land. I'm like, who saw a horror movie? Um, and then uh, they told us that the head of the, of Shara Negev was killed. Uh, his name is Ophir Lipstein. Somebody you knew. Somebody, yeah, somebody we know, um, and we know his family. He is, like, it's not, it's not called a mayor. I don't know what it's called. Like, the person who's in charge of all the kibbutzim. Okay. So he was killed, and his name was given out right away, because, I guess, because he's a known person. And, you know, and then we just sat there and just waited the entire Shabbos. We stayed inside. We were locked in. And we were enough. There were exactly 10 men. So we actually davened and we did hakafas. And we stayed in shul and we ate. You know, we played. It's a good thing there was lots of food because we were expecting 100 people. Wow.
0: And nobody and, came. And no.
1: Right. And whoever came basically came like early in the morning and then just got stuck there.
0: Right. Those and that came all, all the while, there is a battle raging in the police station Uh, literally a couple moments away, mind you, the police station where the police who provide security for you, your children, and the citizens of Sterot are being attacked by, they're being overrun by terrorists. Eight police officers were killed. Ultimately, they had to collapse the building with the terrorists inside because they could not gain control. But now we're we're recognizing that they were up against a, a militant force that had enough weaponry to overtake a police station. That's just the reality.
1: Yeah. Um, it's actually, it's it, it's something we can't really comprehend. I don't think we'll ever be able to comprehend. But our police station, I mean, we know police officers that were killed, that were murdered. Uh, um, I actually think there were more than eight police officers killed by us. And yeah, they did at the end take down the building. The reason is because... Our police station is the most protected building there is because it's made out of, it's made in a way that missiles can't hit it. So from outside, they weren't able to help those inside. So they ended up uh, deciding that they have to just take down the whole building. And um, that's what they did. Right. And it's the actually I- the
0: irony is that it was built to keep the terrorists out and it ended up keeping the Israelis out, our right. forces out.
1: Right. Um, yeah. And when you think about it that way, that's really what it was. But um, so so, yeah, Sh- we so were... Shabbos
0: comes out and the details come in. And h- how did you react besides for absolute sheer panic? Because this is only a few hours later. There are thousands of Hamas
1: terrorists we know now still running around. Right. So we had like this. So Shab- remember, I'm there with my kids. And I asked the adults that were there to please remember that there are kids here. Like we don't have to hear every single thing that was going on. So the same was when Chavez came out and, you know, people were able to like open the computer there. I asked them, I said, please don't share, you know, cause we were hearing rumors here and there. And I said, I really, I mean, the kids don't have to hear all the gory details. It's not going to help them in any way. And um, so we were really, really careful. I mean, from then and for the next few days, to make sure that our kids weren't exposed to anything they didn't need to be exposed to. But um, on Matzah Shabbos, it took us over an hour and a half till we were actually told by the army that was right outside of the Chabadahs that we can go home. And, um, you know, we had people really worried for us because obviously they were already hearing the news and we weren't answering the phones, none of us, because none of us had phones with us. So it was also. They imagined also, the
0: uh, worst. They imagined the yeah, worst.
1: Yeah, they did. My my kids. I had some kids who were in New York by the river for Tishrei. They uh, they definitely imagined the worst because wow, I mean they were told they were told it's people who walked to shul that were killed. Um, 20,
0: 20 civilians were killed by terrorists in steroids. More. More. Yeah. How many people yeah. were killed?
1: Um, I think about forty, and we have a lot of wounded as well.
0: And these are people that you know, people in your community, neighbors, friends, loved ones.
1: Yep. Some some are, you know, people we know, neighbors, friends. Um, I was actually, it took me a few minutes to get on your Zoom because next to where I'm staying here in Jerusalem, I just met a lady from Stavrot and she was just telling me how her husband was shot. And, um, you know, he's on the way hospital. to Shul. Yeah. She know actually, he's, thank God he's out and he's... Uh, uh, a miracle, she said, because, you know, how how did she say it? it was quite funny? She said it, I mean, funny and sad. She said it took, he was, after an hour and 15 minutes, he was taken to the hospital. I was like an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, if we think about it, do we realize how long? How
0: Well, Pete, they were backed up. The the carnage was so enormous that they were just backed up.
1: There, there wasn't anybody to take. Even her husband, she said, she doesn't even know who the people are that came. She said people came knocking on the door and just civilians, and they said they're from Gidera, they're not even from the area. They had come to help, and they took him wow. to the hospital. Wow. Um, so, yeah, there and were a lot of people. And you're,
0: you're the Rebunit, you're the Shlucha, you are the woman that people turn to, you are the people that are the spiritual guides for the civilians in Sterot. Did that come into play at all, or were you just in survival mode when when, when Tov came out and, and you had to, I, I imagine, leave your house and move, you know? ramp up security? Like what was the, your frame of mind?
1: I think everyone was in survival mode, including us. Uh, there, there was nothing really to do, but to be in survival mode, we were also in a total, um, stage of no one knows anything. I mean, there were things that were true things that were rumors. Nobody really knew what was going on. People in Starot were stuck inside and told not to go out. So we were home when I mean, we didn't go anywhere. We were home Sunday, Yes. Sunday. Yeah. Sunday morning, the electricity went out for 24 hours. It took the electric company 24 hours to get our electric back up. That's how backed up they were. And they, they couldn't get into the city to, to bring the electric back up. So wow. we were stuck inside and we had to be inside with doors closed and windows closed because Stressful. we were still told that terrorists are walking around. Um, and, So everyone was on survival mode and everyone was on survival mode with not using your phones because we have no batteries. There's no, (laughs) you can't recharge anything. So everyone was just, everything
0: must have felt like it was falling apart. So you've been to many funerals since then, I imagine.
1: Um, I personally haven't. My husband has.
0: Right. As the rabbi.
1: Rabbi as a friend.
0: Right. Can you tell us a little bit about you mentioned when I was sitting with you that you knew people in Kibbutz Be'eri as well and um, the surrounding neighborhoods. Ashlechim, your outreach reaches far beyond road. Can you tell us a little bit about the communities um, in those neighborhoods? I know that they're secular Israelis and they're leftists and they're pro-Palestine, free Palestine, and, and they're, there's this sad irony in the way that they were killed, despite the fact that they supported Palestinian rights more than your average Israeli. So can you tell us a little bit about the people there and what interactions you had with them and who you knew and what you knew about how they lived?
1: Yes, so um, not Barry because Barry is, like I said, further out, but there are 10 kibbutzim that belong to the regional area of Shara Negev. And my husband started doing actually work with the kibbutzim. In other words, his brother, his older brother, like I said before, he's the Hatshliach of Sderot. He focused more on Sderot, and we started going out to the kibbutzim. Uh, it's been like this, probably eight years already. Slowly, slowly go to a kibbutz and do things for each holiday, um, different things, and he's made friends along the way. And he, Were they resistant? Have they ever been resistant? Because they in, don't like so, religion. Okay, so in the beginning and beginning, when we first started, some were. But uh, not most were happy. You know, it was simple things like um, Hanukkah. We used to come out and give candles and donuts, and for Purim we would give out some kind of um, shachmanes and ask anybody if they wanted megillah. Obviously, I mean, we used to say that if in a kibbutz there was even one megillah reading, that was a wow. But right, you know. So, by the way, I read that
0: the there's a there's a Hanukkah candle factory in Sirot. Is that true? Yes. And also, Osem is in Sterot. And they manufacturers of Bamba and all the soups and all the yummy snacks. And they've also been hit hard by this. Yes. But that's your
1: two claims to fame
0: (laughs) the Menorah Candle Factory and Bamba. The Bamba.
1: Um, Yeah. But so the kibbutzim, so my husband's definitely been doing um, work with them. There's one kibbutz right across from Sterot. It's called Kibbutz near Am. And that kibbutz, my husband went. For a while, he's been going Friday nights to do a minion there. Um, there were a few people on the kibbutz who wanted, and he would usually come with a few people so that there could be a minion. And for wow. Simchas Torah, he also went. He went on. He went on Friday with the car to put some things there, like cakes, drinks, so that he could have for Shabbos by day to do um, Simchas Torah. And then some people met him and they said, you know what, Rabbi, we want to do tonight. So he stayed in the kibbutz. Like, he sent me a message, like, I'm staying in the kibbutz. So he stayed in the kibbutz. And on Friday night, they did simchastorah in the kibbutz. And, uh, and that, would have, that wouldn't have that would have happened. No. And obviously, it didn't happen the next day because, you know, everyone was attacked. But um, they did um, hakafas on Friday night. And uh, Shabbos by day, this kibbutz was saved. Oh, how do you say kitat uh, konenut? I don't
0: know.
1: It's a, it's a group of people from the kibbutz that they're like the first people to get up and fight if terrorists come in. Well, they're not first responders because that would be like firefighters right. and police. They're armed people who live on the kibbutz. And they're like, if something happens, they're the first ones to get a phone call to get up and get out. So okay. they... Uh, got up and went out. Basically, they met the terrorists before the terrorists got to them. So they killed them out before they actually got into the kibbutz.
0: And these are the people that were at your
1: minion? Some of them. There was a minion on that kibbutz. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's been there's been a lot of talk about how the people who were Sharmatara mitzvahs, how those mitzvahs protected them in return. And there's a number of stories. If you want, you can share some.
1: Um I, I agree with that, that. I've heard stories as well. But on the other hand, I, I don't know. I don't think we can um, judge for Hashem. It, doesn't, it yeah. doesn't
0: sit easy with me either. I'll tell you why. It what, doesn't sit I'll tell easy you why, with me either. On the
1: other, on, we say that all those that were killed were killed of Kiddush Hashem. And, and they were wonderful people we know who did all kinds of mitzvahs that, you know, and they're not with us today. So... I, we we can explain things that Hashem does. We definitely know that, you know, we need to do our mitzvahs and we need to do extra good. That's not quite, you know, that's not a question. But
0: has there been a spiritual awakening amongst people that you know
1: after this? Yes, there has definitely been a spiritual awakening in general, the whole country, and I mean all the people. You see, you definitely see it in the army. I mean, that's something that's unbelievable. I mean, now there are a lot of soldiers in Sderot and the area. And my husband's there all week working with them. And he said, it's just unbelievable. First of all, the amount of tzitzis that has been given out is is unreal. Um, it, I, th- I think it comes from, there's, there was a story in the beginning about a soldier who was basically saved because they saw that he has tzitzis. Like he was laying on the ground and they weren't sure if he was alive or dead or if he was a terrorist or not. And they saw his tzitzis. So I think that's definitely one. I also feel like... People in the IDF definitely feel like we're not alone here. There's no way our small army could really do this alone. I mean, we're definitely with Hashem, and they're asking. I mean, the amount of tefillin that has been given out is also unreal. I mean, it's thousands already of people who right. want tefillin and they're putting on tefillin. So this, but def- this
0: is the this is the Labavitcher Rebbe's directives specifically. These directives. That's right. So tell us a little bit about what the Rebbe said over the years. A about giving up land in Eretz Israel and be about inspiring the soldiers and and getting them to put on tefillin because it's a Mohammed mitzvah and, and Hashem is at their side or on their side. Right.
1: I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was during the Yom Kippur War that uh, Mitzvah tefillin came out. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, that's when they wrote the song, It Happened Yom Kippur with your Young mother Right. Right? Everyone should have tefillin and a mezuzah and that will protect exactly. them. Exactly.
1: So that's when they came out with the tefillin, that everyone, that's our gunfire, not gunfire. But That's ammunition. our weapons. Ammunition. Okay, the the tefillin uh, is our ammunition. So yes, that's definitely Miftah Tefillin. And about giving up land, Rebbe, there there is no giving up land. It's ours. And the Rebbe was very, very clear about that. And the Rebbe said a few times that if we give, then we'll we'll suffer from it. We cannot give anything. It's all ours. It's Eretz Yisrael. It belongs to the Jews. And there's no position at all to be giving it. To to anyone.
0: And it's dangerous to give it. The Rebbe wasn't even worried about, wasn't the spiritual responsibility of Israel to the actual physical land, but the physical responsibility of Israel's government to protect its citizens and how dangerous it is to give away land and how counterproductive it is. And the Rebbe saw this from day one and had to convince the prime ministers that no uh, political alliances were going to make one heck of a difference. Nope if Israel would continue the peace negotiations None at all. with our sworn enemies?
1: None at all. I actually just heard uh, my cousin, Chaim Shalbrook, he's a shliach in Montana. And I saw a clip he, he sent out yesterday. And when I was listening, I'm like, it's unbelievable. He was talking about how our family goes way back in, in Yisrael. And how, you know, they were killed and slaughtered way before there was a country. You know, we're back to, they just hate us. It's There's no... And therefore, we have to stand on it for our rights because nobody else is going to do it for us. So there's no position to give anything in Arab Israel, security-wise and, of course, uh, Uh, Torah-wise.
0: We know that now. Did you have Arabs that worked in your city that you knew and and had any warm feelings towards? Workers or delivery guys or builders? No, it's not
1: like... uh, First of all, there were a lot of Arabs coming in from, from Gaza. Um. In the past, I don't know, year or so, Israel's opened its border and we bring in workers. And uh, I think we're very clearly able to see now that that was um, a mistake. I mean, they had maps of every city, houses, places. I mean, the kibbutzim was a disaster. They had maps of the kibbutzim every, with family names on it. And, and, you know, how many people live there? It was horrific. Where did they get all this information from? I mean, you know, we, we let them in. We let them be here. No, I know no feelings for anyone. We don't. No love lost. No, none at all.
0: I actually saw one of these women for peace interviewed here on the news in Israel, and she still believes that there's a peace partner in Hamas. And I'm just like, woman, <laughs> if this doesn't make it clear for you, then I, I think psychiatric help is next.
1: I, I don't know. I, I have to agree with you because. Um, i've I've known a lot of people now who live in the kibbutz who have definitely changed their opinions, I mean, completely. They really used to believe that there was uh, a way to make peace and and they clearly say now that there isn't. I mean, it can't be that such terror comes out of a place and that we can somehow live with this. there's
0: it, it reminds me of when Hashem destroyed Stamina Amira and Abraham Avinu was defending them or uh, attempting to p- prevent this human tragedy by asking Hashem, is there even 10 tzaddikim? Are there 8 tzaddikim? Are there 5 tzaddikim? A place has to be worth saving. And when you see such evil produced by a society, the whole society, it, I mean, it's clear to anyone with half a brain, is poisoned to the core and not worth saving. Agreed. And, and
1: I said, okay, you know what? Even if you do think there are good people there, no problem. Let the other 20 Arab countries around us take them. If you think they're so good, then you take them. This is enough. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have to live with this. Uh, we're living right next to them, and this is what you do. Then that means you can't live. No other country, no other country in this world would ever allow such a thing. I mean, we have Western countries that interfere other when other countries are having a war. I mean, Russia's having a war with Ukraine for already, I don't know how many years no, nobody bothers to say anything, but over here, everybody feels like they have an opinion and they can say something.
0: I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to watch people demonstrate and opine from across the world on how they think Israel should conduct itself, on what they think the Palestinians deserve, while not having a clue of how you live and the things that you've sacrificed, the peace of mind, the peaceful life that you've sacrificed these people are wrong. They are so 100% wrong. It's so frustrating.
1: They are wrong. They are wrong. There's no place for anybody. For some reason, everybody thinks they can say their opinions about this country. Um, but there really is no place for anybody. Um, this country is... First of all, the land belongs to the Jews. I mean, that's back in the Torah. We're not, uh, we didn't invent anything. And... As a state, as a country, it's a democratic country and nobody should be interfering. Just like uh, nobody's interfering what Biden wants to do from any other country or, I don't know, the, the president of France. I mean, there's no right for anybody. But for some reason, I don't know, our government has allowed it. I think if our government puts a stop to it, then it might just stop. We can't stop it because it's just something that's. Being allowed and being said, um, I just wanted to get back. You asked me about the kibbutzim, so I teach English in their high school, in uh, the Sharonegh High School. So I have students and parents who have been murdered. Um, we have a student who's a hostage, and it's it's really it's a difficult situation. It's one that we, the school in general, is having you know a hard time putting things back together. We have, we've lost over 26 of our previous students. Uh, We have a a student in 12th grade who was murdered. And we have in our school, 16 students who have lost an immediate family member, a father, mother, sister, brother. So it's really difficult as well as our staff. We um, We have two teachers who were killed uh, and then we have teachers who have lost also immediate family members. So it was really, really, really difficult.
0: Um, like you asked, you didn't me, even mention you didn't even mention that a missile fell through your living room. And we're thirty minutes into this.
1: Yeah, it doesn't end. So that's what I was just trying to get you that you asked me in the beginning. You know what were we on? We were literally on survival mode. There was no anything or anybody else. It was survival mode, and I was on. Kid survival mode. I was really on making sure that my kids stayed as mentally healthy as possible during that time where we were completely uncertain of what is going on. So I was really, really, really like 24 seven with my kids just to make sure they're okay. Eating, sleeping, whatever they can, sitting next to them, reading, whatever possible thing I was able to do. It was with my kids. I didn't answer phone calls. I didn't answer WhatsApp, I like, Like when I did finally sit down. I like had so many messages. I just don't know who to answer anymore. Um, the only like real phone call I made was as soon as I knew that Yantif was out in New York, I spoke to my kids who were there. But other than that, it was just, I just like posted things on, on the status. I'm like, everyone, we're alive.
0: It's just amazing that this is your that this was your instinct to go into that mama bear mode where you recognize that, allowing your children to be exposed to all this trauma that didn't directly happen to them would prevent them from having this long-term trauma that could affect them for the rest of their lives. Like now was the time to prevent your children from being victimized by Hamas and what they did.
1: Correct. And I think that comes from living in steroid for over 20 years and knowing the effects that it's had on my children over the past. I mean, I think we've taken each of our children to therapy over time and I, and we've been, therapy like they've you know we've been instructed like things to do with the kids so that's definitely the number one thing to do is you know to just be with them they they need that stability there's so much instability there's that was going on that they just needed that stability they needed to know that we're here still
0: going on yes
1: that we're here and we're we're with them and we're not going anywhere and that they're safe and that was so Sunday I mean I, I can't even start to tell you what it was like to be in a house where literally the whole house is shaking. Cause there are so many missiles and you are hearing gunshots and you just, you didn't know what was going on. You are in the middle of an active literally, war zone, literally in the middle of a war zone. So much so that on Monday we were, we were told that we can like open the doors and the windows and we look outside our house, outside the back of the house, literally we see soldiers walking down the street And they're like in a war zone, you know, they're like walking each guns, guns, they're bent low. Like, we're just like looking, we're like, seriously, like we're in the middle of Janine or something. It's, uh, this is nuts. You know, we saw them literally, we, we saw them walking around with a, with a terrorist. They caught a terrorist. And it's just like, we're looking at it like this, this can't be real. On Monday, we decided that um, we, we have never left Sderot, okay? Over the years that we've been there on Shluchas, we have never, ever left. And he said some people might have asked why. Of course, that's our job to be here. But I can also tell you that about 18 years ago, I would say, it was a really, really, really difficult um, time during Shavuos. It was around Shavuos time, and we didn't have the Iron Dome. We didn't have Code Red. I mean, there was it just like landed. And we were debating whether to leave or not, because most of the city had left. Most of the people had left. And um, I told my husband, you know, we're on anshachas. It's our job, you know, to be here and to help people. We don't just pick up and leave. So I said, you want to leave, you have to write to the rabbi. So my husband wrote a letter into the Igris Kaddish, and he got an answer that said, He lo yanun ve lo yishan so, behold, he doesn't sleep or slumber. God protects that's Israel, right. and
0: that was, and that's what I say that all the time. I said that to all the women I sang to in, in America. You you don't live in fear when you believe that Eretz Israel is the safest place in the world. And it sounds like, it sounds almost ridiculous to say because we just you you just expressed that you were in a war zone, but at the same time, the the Jew's destiny in Eretz Israel is different than it is in Chutz LaAretz, and we see that now. And any Jew would prefer to be here, their destiny intertwined with the Holy land of Israel than anywhere else. And that's something that you feel and instill in your children. Yeah.
1: So that's something that we've been walking around with for all these years that we know very clearly that Hashem is watching us. But, um, and, and that's how, and he he was, he he was was on October 8th. He was all the time. We have, on so, on Monday, my parents live right next to us, literally, like in our yard. They have built a house. And we were staying together with them. When we came home from Shul, we stayed together with them. We said, let's all be together. And on Monday, my mother was like, you know, I really think that we need to go. It's not like every other time. It's something else now. So my mother wrote. and My mother got an answer that she should make a suda Sada on Yutas Kislev. A feast, a gratitude meal, thanking Hashem for what different things. Yeah, I mean, you know, people make. And we were like, okay. I mean, you know, we didn't quite understand what the meaning of that was. And my husband got an answer to ask a a rabbi. So he asked um, my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law said the women and children should leave. So we said, okay, we have to leave, we have to leave. As we were getting ready to leave, I mean, after we packed up the few items that were able to fit in a car, um we were literally almost by the door and a missile landed directly in a house next to us. So if we were outside, I mean, we would have been hit with trouble. Finally we left and we drove out of the city in in war mode. I mean, no seatbelts, so you can get out of the car really quickly if you need to. Um hearts hearts racing. <laughs> hearts racing, the car is racing too. And we have um, you know, every like adult was holding a younger child on them. Like my mother was holding my baby, and my 14-year-old was holding my five-year-old, so that if you need to get out, they could just pick up and get out of the car. We drove out about 20 minutes to what was considered like the safest place in the South. And when we got there, we get a phone call from my father telling us that they just caught two terrorists right outside our house. Literally, like my husband was going up the stairs and he saw a white and van. This is what day? Monday, I'd say like four four in the afternoon.
0: Two days after October 8th.
1: More than 48 hours, yes.
0: And they were still terrorists looking to kill you. Oh, yeah.
1: They walked around. It took the city a good few days to make sure that they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went through houses. It was, they could have been anywhere. Nobody was able to control the amount that came in. Nobody knew what was going on. Remember, our police force was down. It was. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. it
0: was a complete fog.
1: Yeah. So that was that. We got to, we went to Jerusalem. And then on a Tuesday morning at 9.15, get a phone call telling us that our house was hit directly by a missile. So yeah, we're, we're definitely counting. You're doing great. <laughs> You're having the time of your life. <laughs> definitely. Like I said, you know, we finally got to, to Yerushalayim and okay, we're finally able to maybe sleep like 915 in the morning, get a phone call saying, okay, you ready for this one? <laughs> you know, uh, a missile wow. hit your house directly. And um,
0: I saw that a delegation of Chabat Shluchim came to Steyroth to see the damage and pledged money, so Baruch Hashem, you're on your way to rebuild. I will put a link in the show notes so people can contribute and help you in this tremendous operation. I mean, at the end of the day, you guys have been dealing with terror now for over 20 years, and what you witnessed here was just unprecedented. I mean, the sheer amount of terrorists that came out and roamed the streets and indiscriminately killed people, and, and still... Your job is not over. Your job is far from over. No. You have reservists that, that left young children at home. You have elderly people who have a hard time leaving home. And you need you need a lot of help so you can help all the people. You need a lot of help so you can help all the people and help yourself. Correct. It wouldn't hurt to um have a house where you don't have to see the stars. Or the that, rain. Uh, <laughs> well, right now it was raining in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining season. <laughs> Oh, gosh!
1: But yeah, we just, <laughs> I mean, I, I went home because an appraiser came, and I walked into the house. The first thing I said was, "Oh my goodness, it's raining in the house."
0: Rain is a bracha. It is. Rain is a <laughs> <laughs> but, I to yes, but listen I gotta say I gotta say I, I, what I take away from this is a few things first of all Kolakavod and the way you handle it as far as your kids go and I think that's a very important lesson for everyone listening up until today because your kids can still go online and can still re-traumatize themselves yeah. or traumatize themselves for the first time and it just remind people how crucial it is for them to prevent their children from being victimized by what Hamas did
1: correct It's it's really really important because I think another war is a mental war. In other words, it's terror. It is, it's terror. And um aside from what they did, the horrific things they did, there's also damage done mentally to to people and to people who have been exposed. I mean, that was part of their plan. I mean, they went with cameras. They they went and they and they videoed and they and they you know put it on social media all these horrible things that they did. They live streamed things on
0: Facebook. They called people.
1: It was just really things that I really think this is a wake up. Their
0: goal is to hurt as many people as possible.
1: Exactly. Physically or mentally. And that's why we as parents need to make sure that we remember that our job is to protect our kids. That is our job. That is what we are parents for and whatever we can do to protect them. That's what we need to do. And if it means making sure they're not exposed to things on social media, that's what you do. You know, my sister said... And you fight for them. You fight for their lives here. Yes, you do. And whatever it is you need to do, you fight for them. If I, you know, if it means that I need to take my kids to school every day and walk them to the door so that they feel safe, that is what I'm doing. If it means that, you know, um, they want to all sleep in, in my bedroom right now, that's what it is. Because that's what they feel safe. That's what we need to do as parents. It is our job description (laughs) to take care of the kids. Yeah.
0: And speaking of your job description, this is something else that we can take away from this. Each of us can sit and wallow in self-pity and you certainly have enough things that you can feel sad about. You could spend your day in bed if you want, eating ice cream and sobbing, and that would be totally appropriate. But you're not going to do that because you have a responsibility to others as we all do. So another crucial thing to remember in these difficult, dark times is that instead of letting it overwhelm you and re-affect you and bring you down, to fight back against evil by doing good things for others. Because when you do good things for others and when you're needed and when you help others like you and your husband do, you find a renewed purpose to live. You recognize why you're here to begin with, what your mission is, and how at the end of the day they could take everything away from us. They could throw missiles into our house. They could terrorize us physically, chase us from our homes, but they'll never take away our our, our, Ahab Sistral. They'll never take away our love for each other and they'll never take away our good dice and our commitment to Eretz Israel and to our neighbors. So that's something... That cannot that, be denied.
1: That's right. They can't take what's ours, and what we make sure to keep as ours. And uh, we have responsibility not only to our surroundings but to ourselves. That we should know, you know, we're here for a reason, and there's a purpose we're here, and and we need to do our job. And like you said, sitting and wallowing won't really help. You know, people tell me, you know, your house. Oh, every time somebody hears your house is destroyed, I said, okay. It's a house you know it can rebuild. I have friends who were killed, murdered and um, you know it's we have to look at the at the the better half, let's say. and um, you were saying before about that Eriststral is the safest place. Yes, we lived through something horrific but slowly slowly as the days go by, they see how much worse it actually could have been. I mean, they're finding things that just—I mean, they're trying to wipe out everyone. The goal was just to to keep going, no matter what, no matter what the yes. cost, no
0: matter what the price. So we know that now, and we have to express gratitude to Hashem. As hard as as it is, we have to express gratitude to Hashem for the miracles, for the missiles that didn't hit, for the missiles. I always say, Israel seems so concentrated and and com- packed all the homes and meanwhile missiles are landing in empty fields everywhere where are all these empty fields <laughs> i didn't know we had so many you know big empty pl- plots uh. of land <laughs> Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. people should make aliyah and not be afraid the more people here the stronger we are and on behalf of my audience i just want to um, thank you for representing lubavitch for representing um, the good that we have here in Israel and for doing what, what needs to be done on behalf of Ami Israel and the Rebbe. So, Tivia, thank you so much for being here. And let me know when I can come to a kumsit, and your house is built up and we'll sit in your living room and we'll sing and it'll be good.
1: Definitely. You're welcome right. anytime. Thank you, Hanaleh. So there you
0: have it. Episode 153 of the Weekly Squeeze. Don't forget to leave me a five-star rating. Share this show with your friends. Donate to Mayor Panim, help the Shlucham out, and stay roped. And be sure to take care of yourself, too. Your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health,
1: and all of that. I'll see you soon.